I was reflecting on this, and a couple of things were coming to mind just, just to begin, to kind of set the stage. One is, um, I, was, I was just thinking about how difficult this shelter in place and being shut in, at, in for, for so many of us has been has been like. I know for me, you know, I go, man, like I've gained weight. And I'm like, how many how many of us like look and go, oh my God, look at that. <laughs> like you you may look at certain things that were just hobbies are now becoming addictions. Certain things that you didn't want to think were addictions are now becoming uh, real problems. Uh, it, uh, things seem amplified. That if we could kind of hide it before and manage it, things are becoming more and more unmanageable. Our lives may feel like they're becoming more and more unsettled and and undone. Um, and this is something that if if this pandemic is going to go on as long as as you know, those who are the experts in this are saying, and that is, listen, this is going to be a really rough fall. And then we won't get a vaccine until sometime beginning of next year. And then even then, who's to say how long it'll take? I mean, there's a really good chance that we won't get back to a place of feeling normal or comfortable until maybe beginning of 2022. And that may be really depressing news, uh, things that we don't want to think about. But the truth of the matter is, is that that that's a reality that we have to consider and have to be willing to accept. And that also means that what's happening in our lives right now may only get worse if we don't bring attention to those things. Um, that's one thing I was thinking about. The second thing I was thinking about with this passage was uh, this idea of having really good soil to work with for there to be 160 you know, all the different folds, <laughs> multiplications that, that Jesus is talking about here. And I was thinking about growing up, you know, you've heard, you've all, if you've been with me and been with us long enough, gosh, if you heard me tell stories about growing up in Mississippi, but I want to paint a really pretty picture for you of, of where I grew up. Um, you know, I grew up on 60 acres of land out in Mississippi, and as many difficulties as you've heard me share in my story, if you were just at, at just face value to drive into this property, this land, you might have your breath taken away. Like it's really beautiful land. Um, it feels like one of these areas that just were just so hidden that nobody really, really knew about um, until my grandfather, my grandmother, which my it was my grandfather's land, and uh, they gave so many acres to. Because it was uh, it was my grandmother and grandfather's second marriage, and they obviously both had kids on either side, so they brought their kids in to, and gave them their own land, and so people could live near each other. And it was almost an attempt, really, at a little utopia of a, of a blended family. And um, so you would drive down this long gravel driveway, and there's there's just thick woods on both sides of this long gravel driveway, and then to the left you'll see a home tucked away on a little hill, and and uh, that was one of my aunts and uncles, and then you would see my grandparents' home right in front of you, and and then all the land opened up, and there was a, a a fishing pond to the left that was always stocked with with catfish, and um, even uh, um, I think some 
some brim, and I don't know if we ever did bass or not. I don't think so. And then the, the gravel road would roll down further and be more trees and open pastures. And to the left, you would see where my mom and I lived. And, and then you'd see a large swimming pool, really nice swimming pool with a diving board and, and uh, um, um, a slide. And then way up out in the distance, you would see my other aunt and uncle and, uh, and where their two kids lived. And, and all this open land in between. And it's really beautiful. Um, and with all that land, um, my grandparents especially really tried to utilize it and to, to farm. And I'm not talking about like large fields, but I remember next to their home, uh, pear trees and a cherry tree and an apple tree and, um, a, a large garden where they would grow peppers and tomatoes and watermelons and, um, onions and uh, green beans and butter beans and all these things uh, there. Uh, there was even an, a flower bed uh, with roses and all kinds of different beautiful flowers that come up there and and how from from and how all of us would help out with this. You know, come home from school and have to to break up the the green beans and uh, or go pick different vegetables or. Uh, and my grandmother from her home also had her salon, her beauty shop. Uh, and so she had all these customers coming in and it was a little epicenter of all these people coming together and all these things happening. And, and people would come and they would give, uh, my grandmother, grandfather would give people roses, these beautiful roses from their garden. And they would give people bags of beans that had been picked and, um, uh, shelled, they would give, uh, they would pick the, the, the pears from the trees and make apple, I mean, pear preserves. I, I, and it was, and we're not talking about like, oh, well, that's nice. I'm like, this was really good harvest. My favorite things to eat growing up was homemade biscuits and then uh, fried tenderloin with aged uh, pear preserves. Uh, and that's, that was my favorite, to this day, I probably could say that's my favorite, at least nostalgic, like favorite breakfast meal. And I just thought about, I was thinking about like from this good soil, all the good things that came out of it, things that not only fed them as, as a family, but us as a larger family. And then those that came near that it was, it was flowers and beauty, not just for them or us, but for those who came near that people who came near my grandparents um, experienced goodness and good things. And I want you to hear me. I think that's the ultimate goal and purpose of this parable, is that our lives, we find our lives in a place where people get to come near and experience really, really good things, and, and things without strings attached, things without payments, things with, without agendas, but just things that are good. So with that said, I want to walk through, though, this parable and, and see what we discover because, you know, parables aren't meant to be straightforward. Matter of fact, if we were to read the section between these two gaps, we read to verse 9 and picked up at verse 18. If we were to read that, we would see that there are those who can comprehend and hear this and those who can't. And Jesus was okay with that because we can try to take something at face value when we're reading things like a parable. But there is a deeper understanding of, and, and I'll even explain what I mean by understanding in all this. Um, 
And so Jesus lays it out for his disciples in verse 18 on. But to me, when I think about the difficulties that we all may be going through and the changes that are going to be necessary to make in our lives, and if we want to get to the place of good fruit uh, and good harvest from our lives, then, then this parable, I think, is for us. And there are three ways... I think that we can read, there are many ways probably, but there are three ways I want to give to us that we can read and think about this, about this parable. Um, and I think the, this first way is what actually Jesus was trying to do with his audience in, in the immediacy there. And the first way is this, three ways to interact to, for, for this parable to hit you. And the first way is this, uh, the observation of the absurdity of the sower. We want to think about all the ground first. That's what we want to, it's almost like, it's like almost an illusion at first. It's like the, the point of this parable is the soil. Do you have rocks in the soil? Do you have weeds in the soil? Do you have good soil? Do you not even cultivate your soil in the first place? But if you were, you know, this being ancient Near East, being an agrarian culture, and Jesus even talking to poor people, because that was always the setting he would find himself in, then you don't waste your seed, <laughs> because this seed is literally going to give you food and life and substance back. And the very first thing we see is this sower stepping into the scene, and he is just reckless. Like, he's throwing seed everywhere. <laughs> like, he's like, ah, oh, here's a path. He'll throw some seed. Ah, here's, here's gravel. That's fine. He'll throw some seed. Weeds, no problem. Throw some seed. And if you were a person listening to this, you would think, this person's crazy. This is ridiculous. And it would almost be offensive. And especially if you were the kind of person who had spent your life being so careful to have your ground so cultivated, you would almost be upset, offended, appalled that someone would be this wasteful with their seed. But I think that's just part of the story's power, is that from the get-go, we see that this sower, being God, is no respecter of persons, of what they've, in a sense, accomplished in life to be ready. That this God that Jesus is referring to is someone instead who is so generous that they're willing to say everybody is worth having the seed, regardless if they can receive it or not. Meaning, everyone gets a shot at God. Everyone gets a chance. This isn't something that you build yourself up for and then, okay, now I deserve this. That everyone gets a shot at God. Which made me start thinking about the vision of Christ City Church. And we worked long and hard for this vision, and we've worked long and hard since... We've talked about this vision a couple of years ago for us to understand as a church that Christ City is a, a place to belong and a place to know God. And that language is intentional and the order is intentional. That you can belong before you ever believe, regardless if you ever believe. That you belong and you matter. And that you have a place here. Because that's how the kingdom works. The kingdom isn't checkpoints of do you believe the right way or do you think the right things or are you in line with us on every issue? No. It's, do you want somewhere to belong? Because life is lonely, and life is difficult. 
And before we ever can attain the things that we think we're supposed to attain, we have to know from the stories of our past and the trauma that we came from is that even though we may have been abandoned or rejected then, will you, will you not do that now? Will you be generous with your presence in your life? Will you let me have access to things regardless if I line up on every point? When I hurt, will you listen? When I feel ostracized, will you come near? And we see that this God that Jesus is referring to is that kind of God. That they're not going to make you come to them. They're going to go to you. And regardless if you're ready to receive all the goodies that come from these seeds of the good life it can provide for you, everybody gets a shot at it. And if it doesn't grow, it doesn't grow. That's fine. Or if it gets choked out, it gets choked out. Or if it only lasts for a little bit, that's fine. Or if it produced a lot of fruit, great. But the, the soil and the, the produce is at the point of the story from the get-go. It's the generosity of this God. And when we as a church are consumed with having to get it right, um, doing it right, and telling others how they're missing it, then we're missing the point that God is generous. And we actually then will not be embodiment of who this God is. And I think for those listening at that time, they would have been really appalled by this because um, Israel's story was that supposedly they kept getting it wrong and kept getting judged and then in turn would go into exile, and so they had to get it right. And they had all these religious leaders, Pharisees, who would be the equivalent of local pastors, right, uh, telling people, get this right, do it right, here's the way, otherwise you're going to be in trouble. And then Jesus shows up and says, oh, we're just missing it. <laughs> This is not the point. The point isn't to get it right. The point is to create the right space so that people then can know that regardless of where they are, that the good news, that the kingdom of God is here, that God's reign is accessible, is for everyone, regardless if they believe it the right way or think it the right way or live it the way you think they're supposed to be living it. So that's the first level I think that's important to recognize. The second level the second perspective of, this, of this, this parable is that of readiness. If, if the first one was about the absurdity of the sower, meaning it was offensive to religious folk, the second level is this level of readiness. I think it's offensive to those who think they're ready, but they're not. Those of us maybe that think we're ready for all these things, but not. Um, notice he's, he's saying that there's... You know, and, and just, just to kind of look at it, he's no seeds on the path are people who hear but don't understand. Seeds on rocks are those who hear, but they don't have the depth developed. Uh, seeds and thorns that they, they have, they hear, but the anxieties of the world and lure of wealth choke it out. And then seeds in good soils, they hear and understand. And I just wanna, I want to take a minute about around this word understand, about what it's trying to say, because it's easy to think that this word is about enlightenment. Like, do you understand this? Are you smart enough to understand this? But if that was the case, then a lot of us probably would have um, experienced all this fruit, this abundance of things coming out of our life that we don't even, like, it's just coming annually, and it's rain or shine that we're going to see this fruit. A lot of us may not be experiencing that. Um, and so... But if it was all about comprehending it intellectually, maybe we would have by now. So it can't be just about enlightenment and cognitively understanding something. And understanding isn't about lip service. It isn't a, yeah, 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 I got it. 
so many times we do that. Okay, yeah, I got it. I understand. You know, like, let's, let's move on. What a basic thing. Well, then that person doesn't understand either. That what, what the Greek, and then if you were to trace it back to even to the Hebrew about where it came from, this is about embodiment to the bone. Embodiment to the bone. Understandings about not just hearing it and not just nodding to it or not just intellectually assenting to it, but it's somehow applied deeply into your life. It's in you, and it can't be ignored or lost. That's when you know that you, quote-unquote, understand this. That's what Jesus is trying to get across here. That's why, actually, I like using the message, because the, the language for understand that uh, is used here is if, if the person hears and takes in the news, takes in. I love the intentionality behind taking it in that there's some work behind that. There's work behind taking this message in and it really going, it's becoming embodied to our bone. And so with the levels of readiness, and this is the perspective, that what the soil is the soil and it has what it has in it or doesn't have what it has in it. And the question is, is it ready to receive the seed? Well, obviously the path isn't ready to receive the seed because it gets trampled on. Um, and then the gravel or the rocks that um, what, what Jesus points out in his explanation of the parable is that, that those who have gravel or rocks in their soil have a shallow spirituality. And what I mean by that is they, they need hits. And this is where you can start putting the observation back on you and not just now the sower, but on you individually, on me as, as an individual. And that is... Um, if I find that I need hits of God, hits of, of spirituality to keep going, then what I would say is, and what I think Jesus is saying is, that there is a shallowness spiritually to our lives, to your life, to my life. That I, I can't function, and here's what I mean by that. Um, that it's, it's, I grew up in this culture where you had to get your quiet times in every day, your QTs. You had to read a certain amount of Bible, and then you'd be good. And then the more I looked at that, I'm like, that feels like somebody trying to get a hit. Like, like do you read it because, man, this is just the rhythm of my life, and I, and I love this regardless if I get anything out of it, or do you read it because I got to get a hit? I got to get my encouragement on a day. I got I to get, I got to get, I got to make sure that God's going to bless me and life's going to work out. Um, it's like, uh, you know, I, I, some people are like, I just got, you know, I need to go listen to worship music for an hour in my room, and then I'll be fine. Well, that's not a wrong thing. Don't hear me say that's a wrong thing at all, because I don't see any of these soils being judged. I just hear that there's one particular soil that's going to give you the lasting fruit you want. So hear me say clearly that if, if you feel like I'm talking to you right now, that you're about hits um, and just kind of getting the, the, the latest hit. And if you don't get to church in a week, or if you don't hear from this pastor, or if you don't get this podcast, or if you don't get in your Bible enough times, or if you don't get your worship music, then, you know, you can't be happy and for the Lord and about his work. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I am saying that's shallow. And I am saying that's not going to last. And I am saying that you're going to go week to week, day to day, to make sure you're going to be okay. But then my question for you is, what happens if you end up like, Tom Hanks, you know, 
like on an island somewhere, castaway, got no Bible, got no way to listen to music, just you and a volleyball, what's going to happen then? That may really be too old of a reference for people right now. But like, I really wonder what's going to happen then, if that's the scenario. If there's some kind of crazy apocalypse, Book of Eli, only one guy's got all this in their head and everybody else is going crazy. Like, I'll stop with the references. My point is this, like, what's going to happen then? To me, that's a type of codependency that really is unhealthy. And it's not wrong, but it's just not going to be lasting. The, the second kind then, or the third kind of soil, is the, the seed and thistles and thorn, the thistles, I mean, the, the seed and the weeds. Um, and again, this isn't a judgment, because uh, this is trying to show that if this, if this is what you experience, then this means then this tells us what's in the soil. So if you find that you get temporary joys, but they don't last, and then you go from highs to lows really fast, and that means there's this, all this rocks and gravel in your soil. Um, it means you get quick hits, but they die off. But if, it, if you find that every time something happens, you get all consumed with it, and the cares of the world, anxiety sh- strikes you down, and you can't move forward, unless you then maybe try to go get more power, more money, or spend more, or do more, that if that's you, then, then that means that there's also going to be problems in the soil. That that's about the soil um, that you have. And that's not a judgment. Um, if you find that you're in this place of life where you just, you have to go after more, you have to go achieve more. You have to go conquer more. Uh, and then every time something happens to throw those plans off and you kind of just get emotionally crippled, then Jesus is talking to you. Um, and, and, and that's, I think, a hard word to hear. And what he's not saying is that you don't have the gospel or get the gospel or you're on a follower of Christ. It just means that there are limitations to what your soil can produce. And therefore, you will always stay in this constant loop like the soil before of shallowness. You'll always stay in this constant loop. Whenever hard things happen, you'll go to this place where you just stay in this constant cycles. But then he goes, there's this last soil that's toiled with and, and broken up. And this is for those, this is what I'd say, this soil is those who've lost the most and are ready. You know, the final soil is the soil that's, um, the final soil he's talking about is the soil of everything's been taken out of it. That the gravel, piece by piece, has been taken out of it. That, um, that the weeds have been taken out of it that there's been this observation of what's in the soil that's going to keep me from getting the fruit I want, and there's intentionality with it. And that this person, maybe, maybe these people, though, haven't removed it themselves. Maybe the ground's been broken up a lot just through their circumstances in life, which we have to kind of zoom out for a second and just think what context this has all been set in. And if you were to go back a few chapters to chapter 5, when Jesus gives his inaugural address, if you will, of what his campaign is going to be as a Messiah, he starts with something called the Beatitudes. And here's what he's saying. 
these lists of people are those who are going to intuitively get the kingdom more than those I talked to moving forward. And his lists start with poor people. His list then goes to people who have lots of bad things happen in their life and they mourn over it. And then the list just goes on and on. It's people who've experienced being down and out and they've had unjust things happen to them. There's people who were persecuted. And what he's saying is, is that these people are the ones I'm going to start with on my fantasy team, my all-star team, because they're the ones that are the most ready for the kingdom. And when we read this passage, I think we're getting to what he's trying to say. They've had the most taken from them. They've had life work out the least for them. They've been looked over and forgotten and hurt, and they don't belong seemingly. And their ground has been toiled. And what I think Jesus is saying in chapter 5, and I think what Jesus is tying together here is, those are the people who have the best chance at the most fruit for their life. Those are the people who are ready. There's a quote here from Richard Rohr, I'll read, talking about this parable. The seed fell on several different types of soil. Some just aren't ready for the word. They're not there yet. It's not their fault. When the student is ready, the teacher will arrive. Normally, we let God in the way we let everything else in. We meet God at our present level of relational maturity, preoccupied, closed, struck, or ready. Most spiritual work is readying the student. Most soil and soul have to be a bit unsettled and loosened up a bit. As long as we're too comfortable, too opinionated, too sure we have the whole truth, we're just rock and thorns. Anybody throwing a seed is just wasting time. Do you see rocks in your soil? Do you see weeds, thorns, thistles in your soil? If so, that isn't something to have guilt over or shame yourself over, but it is something to recognize and own. Because ultimately, change will never happen until we own where we're not and in turn own where we are. <laughs> we want to project what we have going on, what we're doing, how it's all working and yet we don't want to own where we're missing it. And until we can start owning where we're missing it, we'll never see those things removed from our soil. And we'll never be as ready as the poorest person you met for the kingdom. So I think the third application or the third view and level of this is its application to our present. It's about welcoming awareness. And before I kind of lay this out, I think there's a question that's needed. And that is, um, do you want multiplied fruit in your life? Do you even want this? And then we go, well, what does is, what is all this multiplied, multiplied fruit really mean? Well, Jesus actually talks about it a little bit in, in chapter 12 in the passage before. And I, I'm going to read just a little bit here. He says in verse 33 of chapter 12, He's talking to all these Pharisees, religious leaders. If you grow a healthy tree, you'll pick healthy fruit. 
If you grow a diseased tree, you'll pick worm-eaten fruit. The fruit tells you about the tree. You have minds like a snake pit. How do you suppose what you say is worth anything when you are so foul-minded? It's your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. A good person produces good deeds and words season after season. An evil person is a blight on the orchard. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can also be your damnation. The fruit we're talking about having here is a fruit of goodness. Of goodness. That There was a, a company of, a few years ago that I got really interested in. Um, uh, and it's, the company's called Be a Good Person. And it was from passages like this that I realized that ultimately, what did I want my life to come down to? Did I want it that, to come down to that I was reaching all these people that didn't know Jesus, or which isn't a bad thing? Did it come down to that I wanted to make all this money, which isn't a bad thing? Or did it come down to I want to be the kind of person that has such good fruit, that I have such a good life, that others come near me and they get goodness? Goodness. That if that was the journey we were all on, to have goodness and to give goodness, to look for goodness and to share goodness, I wonder where we'd be now. And if that's the goal we want, to have the goodness come out of our lives, then that means it's going to cost us a lot along the way. There's rocks to be removed and weeds to be uprooted so that we can have that goodness come to us because we'll see that the goodness was never necessarily just that we were so good, is that we experienced goodness from a good father who gave it to us generously. And so the question is, do you want that kind of fulfilling life where when people get near you, they get to take home like pear preserves or nice roses? Then if so, then what I say next is for you. But if what I just said doesn't sound like enough, then with what Roar said, you're not ready. If that isn't a grand enough vision for your life, then you're not ready. Then you'll keep the rocks and you'll keep the weeds. Then life, if you're not ready, then that means life is still about something else, something more, and you're bound to go on that journey. And yet if Jesus is right, you'll be terribly disappointed to what you discover. And you can't outthink the ego. If your ego is determined to say, no, I got to go for these things, this is it, and really it's not about the good life um, and really just trying to be a good person, then your ego will take you places. And that's not wrong. You can't outthink that, though. You understand? Like, you, you can't, like, outdo this part. Enlightenment won't, let, won't help you here. It will only be, are you ready and do you want this? And are you willing? Because if you are, then you can do something. And, and, and I want to say, you can't even preempt the soil. This is such a, uh, it's mind-boggling. So many times I thought, okay, what I'll do is I'll get enough wisdom in my 20s so I won't make all the mistakes that these people like before me were stupid enough to make. And then I was making worse decisions in my 30s than them. Like I was going to worse places. And I'm like, what happened here? I spent all my time memorizing Ecclesiastes in college. This wasn't supposed to happen.
Well, what happened? You can't preempt this. You can't go, well, I'm going to get all the gravel out of my soil and all the weeds out of my soil, so I get to have 100, 60, 30-fold. I'd rather have 100, but I'll settle for 60-fold. No, you don't get to do that. All you can do is when you find that you're in these loops of wanting to get hits to keep going with God, then you go, oh, I have gravel. Where's the gravel? I have rocks. What do I need to get out here? How do I do that? If you find that you get in these loops of like the cares of the world consume you, and so to deal with your anxiety, then you have to go like, well, okay, then in my anxiety, um, like I'm going to go act out with more money or more power or whatever else. Well, it's only you coming aware of that. Like just so you know, the prodigal son, for what we know, couldn't stop being the prodigal son. He had to go out, but it's when he was eating with the troughs of pigs that it said he came to himself. He understood. And that's when he made the journey back. That you have to be willing to believe in such a gracious reality and a gracious world and a gracious universe of belonging that it's okay for you to have gravel and weeds. And then you can make decisions like to no longer have those. But to do that, it's going to cost you a lot. You're going to have to sacrifice more. You have to go to 12-step meetings. You may have to like go find a good therapist. You may have to give up the hobbies that you've been so loving for so long because they're in the way. I don't know what you'll have to do, but then that'll be a moment of willingness. And then if you have the willingness, then you're ready. So are you ready? Do you want this? And that's what's hard about times like these because times like these, although they're so hard, can show us something. They show us how ready we really are. They show us the things that are going on in our lives. Remember at the beginning what I said was you may find that whether it's food or drink or ambition or consuming or buying, there may be all kinds of things coming to surface right now for you. Well, that isn't necessarily wrong that those things are happening, but they are telling you something. They're telling me something. Like the pressure of the world around me is coming in more and more, and I'm being shown how many ways I have rocks and weeds in my life, and do I want better soil, and am I willing to surrender and go do the process that I have to do so those things can be removed? Because I want a good life. I want good fruit. I want people to come near me and find satisfaction, not because of me, but because of what's coming out of me. I want my pockets to be so full of this kind of life that Jesus talked about that I reach into it and I find there's stuff in it and then people can have it and it's free because it was free for me. But it still costs me something. It costs me being willing to surrender and sacrifice so I could be ready. So are we ready for change? That's the question. I think, I think if we're saying, yeah, I think I am, then we've got to be willing to look at these things in our lives. But to look at those things, friends, remember something. Like, you're not in the wrong place at the wrong time if you have gravel or if you have thorns or thistles. It just means you have gravel and thorns and thistles. So now do you want to surrender that? And now do you want more? I love you all. It's been a joy to be with you today. And uh, I can't wait to be with you again in a couple of weeks. Oh, and there's a couple of tracks for you if you want to do more work around this with adults, with questions, or with kids, with what Katie's provided. Have a great rest of the day. Bye.